podcast with James and Jane. Hi, this is James. I wanted to let you know that as well as these podcasts, we deliver at least one free online seminar every month that you're welcome to attend wherever you are in the world. You can learn more about them and register for them via our website, www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io. Hi, everyone. This is James. And Jane. And here we are again with another episode of the World of Work podcast. Today, we're going to be chatting about motivation. Are you motivated for today, Jane? Oh, nice pun. Yes, yes. I am very motivated for today. Uh, not least, I think there's some really interesting content that I'm looking forward to chatting about. Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty good topic, isn't it? There's so much. And once you start looking into it, it just grows and grows. It's uh, pretty exciting. But we'll come on to that in a minute. Um before we get in, though, as ever, you guys can get in touch with us. Check out the slides that we'll post online. They're going to be at um, www.thewowpodcast.org. You can where you there. can also sign up for the Wow Mail, which yeah, is our uh, newsletter that goes out on the same day as the podcast. Give you a little bit of extra information about what we've been talking about. Yeah, and um, as ever, get in touch with us on Twitter at the Wow Podcast. We tweet fairly regularly. You can have a look there, see what we're talking about or other platforms as well we've got a yeah. bunch of those we're also on instagram facebook linkedin so just come and find us and we will be waiting with bated breath to have a chat about this week's topic yeah motivated to talk about it <laughs> sorry okay I, how I, many I, just 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 prepare me for today how many puns are there going to be i think we can go for like one a minute something okay, like that. great okay, excellent cool. i shall look forward to that new little kpi a little goal we can set ourselves anyway so that's what we're going to be doing um today it's uh we're in series three so series three is all about sort of behavior and behavior change um and motivation is our second episode in that so we started last episode talked about behavior and behavior change as a bit of an idea today we're speaking about motivation we're going to go on over the next couple of episodes to speak about goal setting, habituation, um, coaching, and some lessons from others as well. So hopefully it should be a fairly congruent little series that looks at um, why people behave in different ways and how we can change them. Yeah, and it's, it's just worth reminding that we always look at everything through the context of work. So yeah. uh, we might spread a little bit beyond that, but generally we're always thinking about it for you guys to have a think about how you can make it Relevant in the workplace, how it's yeah. relevant to you as managers, as HR professionals, as students, um, or as leaders and, and, and sort of organisational management. It's all about the world of work. It is indeed. That's what we do. All right. Um, so that's what we're doing. We're going to run the episode as we usually do. So we'll start off with some definition discussions, do a bit of a research roundup, share a list of a week with you, stories from a keyboard, final thoughts and top tips. And then we will be checking out. Um, but before we do that, I guess we should check in. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all, all right. right. It's been a funny old week. I had a really, really uh, exciting but busy week last week. And uh, I struggled a little bit to get going this week. Did Almost you? Almost had a motivation issue. Did you? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, funny. Well, then we should um, talk about that. So, but it's, overall, I'm good. I'm good. good. I mean, I'm genuinely excited. It feels like it's been, a, for those of you who don't know, it's been a couple of weeks and normally we record every week. So yeah. I'm kind of excited. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's been a few weeks. It's good. Um, my week's been good. I've been doing, you know, the usual type of stuff that I do. Uh one of the people I'm coaching at the minute, I'm coaching about motivation, so it's kind of fun seeing it all come together. <laughs> oh, I don't know. lordy. Total geek central there, but it's fun. Um, so that's good. And then um, something else I've been doing is we've been working towards building out like a, a bigger website with a lot of different content for people. So we're working on that. Um, and hopefully about the time we release this, we will have something headed that way. I know. It's really interesting. We, we haven't talked about doing an episode on flow yet. Yeah. 
And uh, uh, I have witnessed firsthand your ability to produce work like a monster <laughs> when you're in the flow. Get in the zone. But also how to completely forget about everything else. It's amazing. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. I can just switch off. When you're off. there, you're like, it's like texting me going, oh, my, my target was one web page. I've done 12. Like, oh, I hate you. <laughs> I'm just very motivated. Yes, indeed. So that's got to be like six references to motivation so far. I know. I'm sorry, people. Right, apologies. James is definitely apologies. in a, pun, a punny mood. Yes, yes, a little bit giggly. All right, so so let's let's sort of draw a line under it there and move on to what we're going to focus on today, which is for the core content. But just before we do that, I wanted to just ask you a quick question, Jane. Um, oh, see, this is always dangerous. Yeah, it's a bit dangerous, isn't it? We'll see how it goes. Um, off topic for three minutes. <laughs> yeah. So um, my question's to do with you know if you're in an organisation and, and you're looking to bring somebody into your team, and I guess you know, you've got two options. You've got somebody that you can bring in who you think from a competency level, sort of middle of a, middle of a road, you know, they're not going to like let anything totally fall down, but they're not going to um, do a particularly outstanding job in relation to their ability, but they're really motivated. So middle ability, huge amounts of motivation and, and passion for what you're doing. Um, or you've got an option to bring somebody in who um, you know has got really, really high levels of ability, but they're not motivated by what your team is doing at the moment and the activities that are the sort of day-to-day of that job. Um, if you had to choose between them, how would you go about it and what would you do? Who would you prefer? Okay, so um, without uh, ruining your question, I'm going to quote my current, uh, one of my organisational psychology professors who would say, it depends. Ah, so classic. So Dr. McKinsey David would say, it depends. Yeah, life depends, doesn't it? Um, and, and for me, that's very specifically in a number of things. One, it depends on the state of the culture of the team they're coming into. Yeah. How much am I confident that that could impact their motivations? Because okay. it's a, if they, because it may be. Yeah. Um, or could it be damaging because actually they're in a pretty vulnerable place at the moment? Maybe okay. they've been through some change. Uh, one is about what the discrepancy between ability is. So are we sure. talking about two decent operated and one of them brilliant, or are we talking about someone who's weak? Yeah. Um, but also for me, it's about uh, how much can I get to grips with my understanding of what informs their motivation. Okay. During the recruitment process, because there are some people that I have recruited in the past or been a part of recruiting where I've been really confident that they are really clear about what motivates them. And yeah. it might not be the subject matter yeah. or it might not be the tasks, but it might be something that is indirectly influenced. And I think it depends on the product or the service okay. that they're delivering. So, for example, um, I would be more, and I wouldn't, it's definitely still not a no, but I'd yeah. be more nervous about someone who wasn't motivated if they were going to be a corporate partnerships manager in a, in a charity. Okay. Because I need oh, yeah, that yeah. person to be able to sell what we are doing and why we are doing it with passion. Yeah. And I think it's harder if you don't fundamentally believe in it. And at some point, someone's going to spot that. Whereas I think if you're selling really great high-level tech that everyone already knows is good, I don't know, you're, a, you're selling... A software solution that's best in market for a yeah. charity. I'm less concerned about whether you really care about how good the product is, and I'm more concerned with are you motivated by levers that I can control. So, for oh, right. example, okay. do I have the ability to influence your uh, compensation package? Fine, your bonus. Or because whatever. if that's what motivates you, and the product's already good, I'll let someone else worry about being motivated about having the right product, and I'll get worried about you being motivated by levers that I've got control over. Yeah, cool. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. That's a very long answer to a very simple question. Well, I think the answer is it depends, but I mean, that's kind of appropriate for motivation because okay. yeah. it's such a complicated, it is. It's multi-layered super, it's thing. It's super complicated and I think, you know, this theory stuff is really interesting and I really like it, but I, I, you have to view it with a lens of it is part of 
a picture that you're building up yeah and the narrative yeah. is layered yeah cool all right well let, let's start out with one of those layers and maybe jump into some definition discussions we've got a few to run through um this week do you want to take us through some definitions yeah sure so um a couple of these i've picked out because i think we need to understand them in order to be able to understand some of the research that you're going to go on to and a couple of them i just like them i like them um so uh the Psychology and Society Wiki talks about motivation as being the reason for people's actions, willingness or goals. It is derived from the word motive, which is defined as a need that requires satisfaction. Gosh. Uh, which I'd like to pull apart mm. from beginning to end, really. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I think, um, I, I don't believe needs is the only um, uh, context. I think wants is, has absolute relevance in motivation. Yeah. Um, particularly when you're looking at the nuance of different types of motivations of intrinsic and external, uh, extrinsic, uh, working amongst each, uh, between them, the interplay between them in people. Cause you know, fundamentally people aren't one thing. Yeah. Um, but I do think fundamentally it's really understanding that if you're not motivated, you won't act yeah. and you certainly won't act to the best of your abilities. Yeah. Motivation. Not, shape yeah, absolutely. And, and the way that you understand your own motivation helps you shape your own behaviors. So I always think about it as um, I talk about hacking myself a lot. Yeah. So how can I hack into my brain and understand what, that, what on earth is going What's on happening? so that I can figure out how to create a better environment? Mm -hmm. uh, so the next one is uh, needs. I've deliberately, there, there is absolutely a um, psychological definition around needs, um, but I'm just sticking with the generic one first because I think it's really important, which is requires something because it is essential or very important rather than just desirable. That's dictionary.com. Now, uh, the psychological definition, which I picked up from, uh, funnily enough, Wikipedia, is to most psychologists, need is a psychological feature that arouses an organism to action towards a goal, given purpose, and direction to behaviour. So, um, what I think is important about those two is that both of them highlight this is about significantly important things that are critical to uh the way people behave yeah and uh are more than just wants. so needs are very specific they're about things where if your needs are not being met and, and we talk about it a lot in relationships right if, yeah. if if your needs are not being met then you will be dissatisfied with what's going yeah. on um and that's how psychologists talk about it a lot of it comes from social psychology so hi, uh, i believe so hygiene factors which we will come up with which is, you may or may not have heard about before depending on your background uh, hr tend to talk about hygiene factors quite a lot and they're the factors that characterize the context or environment of people person's work um and they're quite often the source of job dissatisfaction um yeah they're quite often the things that irk yeah um so it's kind of important to understand that, and that's from study.com. And then the other one I'm just going to call out is job satisfaction, um, which I have to say, uh, we've picked out one from Cambridge Dictionary, but job satisfaction is hotly contested, what it is, how it's defined, not just about wordplay, like really hotly contested is what it is. Um, but the one we've picked out, the feeling of pleasure and achievement that you experience in your job when you know that your work is worth doing or the degree to which your work gives you this feeling um yeah it doesn't on the face of it seem like it should be all that contentious but well, it, it's, it's, a it's just but i just i don't think that's what it is i mm. think um i think it, it's job satisfaction to me is the literal 
satisfaction. Are you satisfied with your job? Yeah. And and what role is it playing within your wider life? And is it meeting those needs, financial, purpose yeah, driven, yeah. All the needs you have, yeah. So so yeah, me and Cambridge don't agree. Um, hmm. But yeah, those are some of the definitions that I think will be relevant as you start to talk around the research. Cool. So let's jump into that research then. Um, so obviously research on motivation theory is quite big. Um, there are basically two schools of theory around motivation. There's a content model school of thought, and then there's a process model school of thought. So the content models tend to be older. Um, at the minute, they're maybe slightly less fashionable from an academic perspective, and they're certainly not deemed to be as rigorous and evidence-backed as the process models. Uh, the models in here include things like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Aldefer's ERG theory, McClellan's theory of needs, and Hertzberg's two factors theory. Um, these models all focus on the what of motivation. So they're about what it is that individuals want to achieve, or to put it simply, that motivates them. So these are fundamentally often about the needs that individuals feel, um, sort of physical or psychological needs that motivate them to act in certain ways. Process models are something slightly different. These models focus on not the what's, but the, I guess, the whys of motivation. They focus on the process of motivation and they look at things like your behavioral processes and the psychological processes that motivate people to, to move in certain directions. Um, these are academically more rigorous models. Um, there are more discussion about them at the minute. Um, and they're fairly popular. They've made a bit of headroads into the business world, but maybe not as much as the content models. Um, today we're going to touch on Adam's equity theory and Vroom's expectancy theory. So that's content and process models. Anything you'd like to add to that bit, Jane? No, I don't think so. Um, I think I think you're right in that they are process models are a bit more uh, in in the moment, should yeah. I say, academically. Although I would argue that you still see Maslow everywhere. Maslow is everywhere, uh, yeah. particularly in practitioner world. I still see loads and loads of uh, consultants about Maslow. Um, I think that the key, probably the key reason for that difference between process and content popularity is you know one is much more influenced about influencing the way in which we are motivated uh, in process models, which allows people to identify more levers, whereas yeah. what motivates us um, is possibly less usable. Yeah, maybe. it's more individual. It's, it's less subject to influence to some extent. Yes, I, I, yes, and therefore once people have got the basics, maybe it doesn't matter so much to them. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, hard to know. Well, let's jump into them. So um, content, we're going to talk about a few models. We're going to start with Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. I'm sure a lot of people have seen this. Um, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs is basically a pyramidal model. Um, by which I mean a pyramid. I don't quite know why I said pyramidal. Anyway, um, what Maslow says is that there are five layers of human needs. So he talks about physiological needs, safety needs, social belonging, self-esteem, and self-actualization. And what Maslow says in his model is that you need to achieve... Uh, and satisfy the base layer of needs before you're able to be motivated and interesting in pursuing the next layer of needs, the safety needs. And you need to have achieved your physiological and safety needs before you're able or interested to be motivated in achieving the third layer of needs, being social belonging and so, and so on throughout the model. So essentially what he says is people need to build on base needs before they can progress to higher level needs and they'll carry on this journey um, throughout their sort of careers and lives as they look to progress and develop as individuals and then create better lives for themselves. And at its core, that's really what, what Maslow says. 
um, in regards to what's in the layers. The starting layer is physiological needs, and this is basically sort of survival type needs, so food, water, shelter, things like that. The next layer of needs is safety needs, and this is about sort of longer term survival really, and here we've got things like physical and emotional security, housing, uh, health, finance. And then above that, you've got the next, I guess, middle layer, the third layer, which is social belonging. So this starts to bring in social aspects like family and friendship relationships, a sense of social belonging, social acceptance. Um, and then above that, self-esteem is, is satisfying needs for ego. So things like status, respect, recognition. And at the very top, Maslow puts self-actualization, which he describes kind of as achieving your potential, um, you know, having that sense of purpose, sort of verging towards transcending daily needs, towards really being the best that you can and, and feeling a sense of fulfillment. So that's, um, that's Maslow. What do you think? What does the world think? Of I Maslow? should also, well, I should, probably worth adding is that one of the ways that um, Maslow deals with the, the sort of top tip of the pyramid is to say that that's never... You are never content with your self-actualization. That mm. continues, and that's yeah. how he, it, it, you very effectively keep the model perpetuating. Yes, um, I like it. You like it? Yeah, I do. I really like it as a model. Unfortunately, <laughs> there is literally no <laughs> evidence whatsoever in a work context that Maslow is um, is an appropriate model to use, and there's no evidence for it existing. As, as a decent model there, uh, there there's a couple of, of very specific places where there's no evidence one is that it's not sequential yeah. so these things do not operate like that two is there's a big big debate about whether social belonging sits in the middle or actually uh, is it at every level yeah and does that matter to everybody um, and particularly when you start to study sociology around um things like this you know, certain tribes and how they have kept themselves safe through social belonging there's just it's way more complicated yeah um yeah also people move up and down they jump around um jump i up, do jump up and yeah down. exactly um i do <laughs> fundamentally um agree that um it's very hard for people to focus on other areas of their life if their physiological and safety needs aren't met yeah and i think there is some evidence of that mm -hmm. uh, that's about it so i guess my plea is if you see Mather used understand that it is a useful model for a discussion but absolutely no evidence that the model that he has, which is that it is a sequential progression of fulfilment of needs, is accurate for the workplace. Oh, that's one takeaway from today, isn't it? Let's Soz. change the world, yeah. Uh, Mythbusters, that's what we're doing. Um, oh man, that's another episode. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's right. And, and we're not going to dwell on it, but Aldefer's ERG model basically addresses some of those points. And it, yeah. it, it creates a slightly more robust model. What he says is that there are three levels of needs. There are existence, relatedness, and growth. So he's got an ERG model. Um, but he says people can move up and down between them kind of as they wish. They kick in at different stages. And, and it's just a little bit less definitive than Maslow, but um, academically more rigorous and, and more um, proven in the real world. And I think it's important to understand the background of when the time yeah. in which these models were being created, which were much more, they were tools for discussion yeah. than they were scientifically rigorous tested models. Yeah, that's right. So, so it's no disrespect to Maslow. Yeah. I think it, for what he was trying to understand at the time, it's hugely impressive. Yeah, yeah. He started in the 40s, I just, didn't I just he, think man? it's really important that we don't hark back to something that um, could be misleading. Yeah. It's misleading. Cool. All right, so that's fairly clear there. Nice model, just don't believe it. Um, <laughs> then... Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, okay. It's good. So then, still on the world of content, we're going to jump onto the next model, which is McClellan's um, uh, acquired needs theory. 
And we've actually touched on this earlier. We touched on it in one of our earlier episodes in uh, series one, actually, right at the beginning. So you might see it there. Um, we're just going to reflect on it briefly now. And, and what McClellan says is that over the course of an individual's life, they acquire different, I guess, psychological and emotional needs. And he says that there are three types of needs and that individuals end up with a blend of these needs, but normally one of them is a bit more dominant than the others. And the three needs he identifies are achievement, power, and affiliation. And what he says is if somebody has a strong achievement need, they'll act in a certain way and be motivated in a certain way. Likewise, if they've got a strong power need, they'll be motivated in another way, and same for affiliation. Um, and the way these work is, is different in each instance, right? So whatever the dominant need is will shape a different set of behaviors. So from an achievement perspective, if achievement's the dominant need, then an individual is going to be motivated towards succeeding, you know, delivering, achieving, overcoming obstacles, things like that. From a work perspective, they're going to be looking for an opportunity to do that. So they'll, they'll prefer to work in a work environment where they can constantly overcome you know, challenging yet achievable tasks. So that's, that's really going to be great for them. Power is slightly different, though. For people with a dominant power need, um, their need is, is all about status and the ability to influence and control others around them and, and to have actually that power and to win. And what that means is that their preference for working environments are going to be very different to the achievement-oriented individuals. They're going to be, as power-dominant people, they're going to be interested in competing with others. They're going to want to accumulate power. They want to manage. They want to direct. They want to influence. They want to control outcomes. And that's their working preference. And affiliation is different yet again. So the description of affiliation is that it's really about the desire or the need to be liked and accepted and to create social harmony and to smooth social relations. And that's the dominant need that, that you know, um, affiliation dominant people have. What that means is that their work preferences are different yet again. So people with a dominant need for affiliation are going to seek out working environments where they can collaborate with others. They're going to want to work together towards achieving common goals. They're going to try and make sure that they maintain social harmony at work and they're going to be drawn to places where people are important. So those are some descriptions and, and thoughts on their preferences at work. Um, people with these different need dominances are going to have different strengths and weaknesses or risks as leaders. And there's more on the website for this, but you know, people with an achievement need as a leader are going to be um, really focused. They'll drive lots of volume of work and quality. But from a risk perspective, they might be a little bit too driven. They might work people until they kind of uh, collapse. That's the risk around them because they love that stuff and, and maybe more so than others. People with a power need, they're really good at committing to things and, and getting through difficult decisions and sometimes making unpopular decisions. But from a risk perspective, they might be too competitive. Their pursuit of power might come as a, as a cost to the business and sometimes they damage relationships along the way. And from an affiliation perspective, you know, as leaders, these people can really drive cohesive teams, bring people together, inspire, create loyalty, create followership. But from a risk perspective, they might not be the best people to push through difficult decisions that um, don't help people, um, but maybe focus more on business outcomes than people. So that's some, some sort of insight into McClellan's model. The three needs are there, achievement, power, and affiliation. And whichever need is dominant contributes to shaping individuals' behaviours. Um, what do you think? Uh, I went a bit quiet there because I was just quickly Google scholaring uh, mm -hmm. a couple of critiques of McClellan because I, I I like it mm -hmm. um, and I think 
if you don't get too hung up on his interpretations of what those needs mean, I think they are a useful lens with which to look at people, yeah. particularly in leadership roles. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, like all things, as much as I try and think with my academic hat, the first thing that that I do when I see this stuff is, oh, does this does this feel familiar? Yeah, yeah. Does it, it relate to me? Fits? Does it relate to me? Does it yeah. relate to the challenges I've does had? Does it prove my sense of the world? And yeah, does it does it prove what <laughs> I think? Can it confirm my biases? But certainly, <laughs> yeah. Oh, bias. Anyway, um, so for me, there's some really interesting stuff around um, the interplay between particularly your risk as a leader. I think that is a really interesting concept. Yeah. I think, and actually I would do, do away with leader. I just risk, risk as yeah, yeah, an operator yeah. in the work world. I think um, if you can identify in yourself that you uh, like to, uh, and the way I would describe it, you know, when I'm coaching people is, do you like ticking things off lists? Yeah. Because if you do, there is a risk that you will get them done in a way that is not necessarily effective or that you will create tasks in order to feel like you're achieving. Yeah. Similarly, um, uh, for me, there's a really interesting one about power. Do you want to be in the room when the decisions? So there's a great, uh, if you've seen Hamilton, the musical, there's a great song in Hamilton. Hamilton's a great musical anyway. It's yeah. really interesting. But there's a particular song, is it? I want to be in the room when it happens. Yeah. And it's about, um, and for me, that's that's the, the absolute nub of power. Are mm. you in the room when the decisions are being made or are they being, being done to you? And I think the risk of that is if you always want to be in the room, even if you're not the right person and you want the power, it's really hard to step away from that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I really like it, and I I, I also think that um, is, as a leader, if you can spot the people in your team who are ten have a tendency one way or the other, mm -hmm. quite often they're the people. So you know, if someone's got a natural leaning to affiliation, they are probably the person to clear up your messes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're the ones. You know, if you've upset half the team, yeah. they're probably the best person to help you out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're not the ones to put through a restructuring because they'll find it harder. Or maybe, well, it depends on your perspective of restructures. I think mm. maybe they should, I, I firmly believe they should be hard because then you're going to make good decisions. If they really hurt when you do them, mm -hmm. they are uncomfortable for you, then you don't end up doing them because you're satisfying a level of ego and a level of influence to show that power. I would be far more worried about people who are doing it with a power preference because they're like, oh, look at me playing. Mm -hmm. And but I, they I would definitely massive... get it done, right? Yeah, but are they going to get it done the right way? Anyway, uh, yeah, no, we could argue about this. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that's the sign of a good model, right? Yeah. That I can, I look at it and I look at the way that it's being used and the way that it's recommended it's used. And I know, or not recommended, but identified as it could be used. And I think it's really helpful. So yes, cool. as, as always, I like McClellan. Yay. <laughs> so a little something for us to think about on content. Yeah. Um, next content model for us is the, um, it's Hertzberg's two-factor theory of motivation. And this basically says that there are two types of things going on. There are hygiene factors and there are motivating factors. And hygiene factors are basically the basics. You've got to get this stuff right so that people will achieve a medium level of satisfaction. If these things aren't there, people will not be happy at all. These are the things you've got to get right. These are the basics that keep people um, reaching a, a midpoint of satisfaction. And these are things like salary. They're things like safety. They're things like, you know, reasonable, so uh, physical environment, all that kind of stuff. These are, the, you know, the real basics you've got to get right. And then the next set of things are, are motivating factors. And these are the things that people won't care about at all if they're not safe and if they're not paid enough. But if they're already, you know, if the hygiene factors are already in place, these are the things that can boost people from sort of neutral satisfaction to really high levels of satisfaction. These are kind of the icing on the cake or the mustard on the hot dog or whatever phrase 
you want to use. James is looking at me with those puns going, those are terrible, aren't they? Yes, they yes. are. But you see fair phrases, saying. fair phrases, but yeah. you know what I mean. Um, so anyway, so that's what it is. Uh, I guess the real call out here is that, you know, you can have strong hygiene factors and you can have strong motivating factors. Um, and if you've got, right, if you've got weak hygiene factors, it doesn't matter if you've got strong motivating factors because people are still going to be miserable and unsatisfied. So you've got to get the hygiene factors right. And then only once you've got the hygiene factors right, is it really worth if you've got a leaky roof, don't book everyone on a, on, on a um, staff away day. That's yeah. that's the way I always talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They want the roof fixed. Yeah. They want to not be wet. Yeah, totally, totally. So that's that's really all I want to say about Hertzberg. It's just a simple way to think about things. Um, and there are hygiene factors that are really important, so get them right. What do you think? Fix the roof. I don't, I, yeah, just fix the roof. Just fix I just, the roof. And, and just it, it, the, consistently, sorry, I'm stuttering now, but consistently I have conversations with leaders who are lovely but dishonest with themselves about the state of their hygiene factors yeah if your basic computer system kicks you out 10 times before you can get started in the day you don't care if you're getting uh an extra half day's holiday because you've wasted seven hours mm -hmm. over your six months getting kicked out of the system yeah yeah, yeah. um don't just... send a fruit basket to the rubbish cupboard that you make me sit in with a leaky roof correct you know, correct just, just all of that just don't do it so um and I think that the the bit that it's important, I think this is particularly true when you're a small consultant working with small organisations with small budgets. It it is evidence. It's with some evidence. It is something that you can use to explain to them why they shouldn't be divesting money away from the basics yeah. in need of whatever the latest fad is. Get the basics right, yeah. and you can do very cheaply some of the higher level stuff. Yeah. So really, really, really focus on fixing the roof. Yeah. Cool. So that's our three content models. So we did, or four content. We did um, Maslow, Aldefer, McClelland, and Hertzberg. Um, and you can listen to that. But the key takeaways are take Maslow, put it in the bin. No, oh, harsh. <laughs> Don't put it in the bin. Just be conscious when someone puts it up that they, unless they say to you at the beginning, this is not really relevant in terms of an academic perspective, but I think it's a useful frame. If they say anything else, just you should have question marks about yeah, their You can nod and smile knowingly is what you can do. Right? Well, if you're so, paying them, yeah, maybe yeah. not. Well, maybe not if you're paying them, but if they're, um, if they're doing it kindly. And then um, Hertzberg, yeah, fix the roof. All right, let's jump on to process models. So we've got two we're going to run through. We're going to look at Vroom's expectancy theory. Then we're going to look at Adam's equity theory. And, and they're both models that look at some of the hows and, and um, whys around motivation as opposed to the what. So Victor Vroom, who really is fortunate in How does opinion. he not own a uh, electric razor company? Like, yeah, you know, the yeah, name yeah, is yeah, just, yeah, yeah, it's a market. It just glides, doesn't it? The V Vroom. Anyway, um, his model is uh, the expectancy theory, and this is all about expectations. And he's got an equation, um, and his model is sometimes known as the VI model, the VIE model. Um, and that's because that's the, you know, the core bit of his model. His model says that M equals V plus I plus E. And his model's all to do with um, how people are motivated in relation to certain outcomes in terms of the rewards that they will receive as a result of doing something. You know, will they be motivated to do something? Well, they will, provided that the reward reaches and meets certain criteria. And those criterias fall under the three letters of his model, V, I, and E. So V is for valence, I is for instrumentality, and E is for expectancy. And what he says is that these rewards, which could be you know, monetary, but more likely than not, or, or as likely, they 
are often things like the sense of achievement, a sense of accomplishment, a thank you, the opportunity to help my team, whatever the rewards are that you get from something, provided that they meet these three criteria, then you'll be motivated to, to pursue whatever that activity is. So V for valence, I for instrumentality, E for expectancy. I'm going to run through them in order. So valence, this is all about value. So if I value the reward that's there, if I think it's intrinsically a valuable thing that I want to get, then I'll be motivated to do that. All right? so, so if a thank you from you means something to me, then I'll want to work towards achieving it. If you know the, the whatever $200 bonus that you'll give me is going to be motivating, then that'll help motivate me. If I value it, it'll help motivate me. However, it'll only help motivate me if I and E are also true. So I is instrumentality. And instrumentality says that I'll be motivated to pursue this chain of action and achieve the standard of output that I need to achieve to trigger the reward only if I believe that I have the ability to do that. You know, if I can work hard to achieve this outcome um, and have the ability to actually achieve that outcome, then I'll be motivated. But if you're, if you're setting me a task or, or constructing a, a situation where the task is impossible for me to actually achieve, then I won't be motivated. If the system is stacked against me, if the cards are against me, if I don't have a resource, then to some extent it's not worth me trying. So unless I have instrumentality, I won't be motivated. And lastly, E is for expectancy. And this, this is really all about belief and trust. And what this is saying is that, you know, if I think something's valuable, I'll be motivated towards it, provided I think that I've got the instrumentality to achieve it, but also only provided that I genuinely expect and believe that if I achieve a required standard of outcome or performance, that I will receive that reward, be it a thank you or a $200 bonus or whatever it happens to be. So for me to be motivated, there needs to be some reward attached to the task that I might be doing or motivated to do. I need to believe that I have the ability to complete that task to the required level. And I need to have the belief that if I meet the required standards, that the reward will be uh, made forthcoming. So to be motivated, there needs to be valence and value, instrumentality and the ability to deliver, and expectancy, which is the belief that the reward will be forthcoming should I achieve the right standard. So that's Room's expectancy theory in my sort of garbled run through. No, I think it's very straightforward. Basically, um, give give people what they want, yeah. don't give them what they don't want. Yeah. In, in terms of rewards, packages, etc. Yeah. You know, if people don't want to be able to buy back their holiday because they've already got loads of it and they're paid well, then that's not going to help them. Whereas it may for some people. Yeah. Um. Make sure that you don't set them impossible goals because that's just nonsense. Yeah. And also. Don't ever offer stuff and don't come through, ever. Even yeah. if it's just cakes in the office on a Friday. If you've said you're going to do something, do, do it. it. Because otherwise you lose trust and then people will not trust you when they say, okay, well, there's a big big, big bonus in, in it for you this year. Well, we bring cakes every Friday, so why would we believe this? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, then, one of the things I like about this model is I have seen people be uh, get to a stage where their motivation is totally destroyed as a result of each of these separate three things. Yeah. So I've seen rewards that are unvalued. I've seen tasks that people can't achieve because the system won't let them. And I've seen them perceive that they've been lied to before about outcomes. And so they're not motivated. So I, you were saying that like you look at Maslow and, or McClelland and you think you can relate to it. I, I, it's the same for me with this one. Uh, the, the, in two words, unreliable leadership. Yeah. Is, is how I see it um, when I think about it. It's As a leader, have you or manager, have you been reliable? Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
Okay, cool. So that was Vroom's expectancy theory. So it was good to talk through that, the VIE model, Vroom's um, expectancy model. There are other expectancy models, but you know, Vroom's is one of the biggest ones um, and the most popular ones that people know about. Um, the last of our process models that we're going to speak about is Adam's equity theory. And equity theory basically says that people value fairness. You know, people are motivated by fairness. And I guess the flip side of that is that when things are unfair, it's a challenge to people's motivation. That's really the core of what's going on in this model. And there are a couple things that we need to look at when we're thinking about this model. Um, the first thing is, is about sort of the relationship between input or contribution, you know, what I'm doing for an organization, and then output or benefit, which is what I'm getting from an organization. Um, and when Adams did his model, he looks at my relationship with my inputs and my outputs for the organization, but then he also looks at some sort of peer comparison work as well, and we'll come on to touch on that. But if we start with the first bit, which is just, you know, what's my input like? What's my output like? Does it seem fair? Then what Adam says is that if I put in a unit of, of contribution, if I'm trying to work, um, I'll automatically make a bit of an assessment around what does that contribution feel like? What would be a fair return on that contribution? What do I expect from the organization? And I've got this sort of equation in my mind of inputs, outputs, and, and a sort of fairness line on a graph, if you will. Um, and if what I'm receiving back feels fair, then I'll be reasonably motivated. You know, that feels pretty good to me. However, if I feel that I'm inputting more than I'm being compensated for, if I feel kind of undercompensated from an organization, then I'm going to feel demotivated. I'll feel like I'm not being recognized. And, you know, that, that'll, um, that'll make me feel, I think, the words that are used by Stacey Adams are distressed. I'll feel kind of distressed. And I'll want to do what I can to get back to a sense of fairness and equity. Actually, the same is true if I feel that I'm being overcompensated as well. So if I feel that I'm doing um, not very much and, and receiving much more benefit than I'm really worth, then actually that's kind of distressing as well. So regardless of whether I feel overcompensated or undercompensated, I'm going to feel distressed. And when I feel distressed, I'm going to try and do something to get rid of that distress. And that's something that I do is really all about trying to bring me back to a place where things feel fair and equitable. So I'll take different actions to do that. So as an individual, if I feel undercompensated, perhaps what I'll do is I'll lower my level of work so that I feel like it's fair. Um, and if I feel like I'm being overcompensated, then maybe what I'll do is I'll increase my quality of work so it feels like actually the compensation is fair because I've upped the amount of work that I'm doing. So that's one way to, to change that sense of fairness. And that's about changing the actual work and the actual relationship between the input and the output. Um, there's another way to do this as well. So there's another way for me in either of those situations to try and change my sense of perception between contribution and uh, the reward I'm receiving. And there's other ways actually to, to change my own perceptions. So if I feel that, um, for example, if I feel that I'm being overcompensated, instead of changing the amount of work that I do, what I might do is I might change my perceptions of the value of the work that I'm contributing. So I might go through a bit of a process of cognitive distortion and somehow come to believe that my actions are really valuable. I'll get perhaps an inflated sense of uh, self-worth or importance or, um, you know, belief in the quality of what I do. And that'll mean that actually, you know what, it feels like that high level of compensation is fair. Um, conversely, if I feel that I'm being undercompensated, obviously I can lower the amount of work that I'm doing so that that feels fair. Or alternatively, what I can do is I can lower the value that I ascribe to the work that I do do. So, you know, I'll do the same amount of contribution, but I'll reassess what that's worth and, and have a sort of diminished 
sense of what um, what I'm doing is worth. So, so that sort of cognitive distortion piece around changing perceptions is, at least in my view, less helpful and less beneficial in the long run um, than some of the other ways to get back to normal. But the, the point is that people want to tend back to equity and fairness in, in that type of relationship. So that's really the first part of the equity theory. Um, and that's about me and my relationship with my organization and work. Um, there is one other part of this, which is around my relationship with my peers, right? So if if in the relationship I have with the organization, it feels that it's fair, it feels like my sense of what I'm contributing is matched by what I'm receiving in terms of benefits, so I feel that I'm, I'm appropriately being compensated, that's great. But then the next thing I'm going to do is compare myself to my peers. So what I'll do is I'll go out and I'll say, okay, well, here I am, this is what I get for my unit of contribution. What are my peers doing? And what I'll see is, is I'll see peers who are um, comparably or, or fairly compensated in a similar fashion to me. And if I see that, that's fine and I'm motivated. Or at least I'm not demotivated. If, however, I look at my peers and I say, well, wait a minute, um, this person over there, Jane, is working the exact same amount as me, but Jane's getting paid 50% more than me, then I'll say, well, that doesn't really feel fair, does it? So what do I need to do to reach fairness again in this situation? So maybe again, what I'll need to do is change my actual contribution. So maybe I'll work less. So maybe I'll work two thirds as much as Jane so that my two thirds pay seems fair. So I'll, I'll try and get back to normal. Or alternatively, I'll go through one of those um, cognitive distortion functions. And maybe I'll just believe that my efforts are worth significantly less than, than Jane's effort. Um, so, so that's really what Adam's equity theory says. It says that we've got this sort of instinct and this desire to tend to the norm um, towards fairness, and, and that's what we'll do. So, um, yeah, so that's Adam's equity theory, I guess, in a nutshell. What do you think? I think it's really, it's probably one of the most powerful things I've come across when talking about motivation, because I think it's the best at articulating that context is everything. Yeah. So it's a, great a bit about uh people seeing their contribution as fair and adjusting particularly about um adjusting through i think you called it cognitive distortion yeah uh, you might call it cognitive distortion or you might make it a fair judgment that if the boss who knows more than you theoretically is paying you more for work that you didn't think was valuable it was valuable yeah I mean, if yeah, you take yeah. an economic aspect if someone's prepared to pay for it then that's what it's worth yeah not what you think um, and what it That's really does point, yeah. is 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 play much more to the reality of how we see the world, which is that we are interacting with the world, or certainly in my view. Yeah. Um, and I think the peer thing is is fascinating because it's just at the root of so many problems that it I've really experienced. Is, yeah. And when I say that, I mean that people are judging themselves against what they perceive to be their peers versus what they aren't. Yeah. And it also doesn't take a, any account of the reality of how... Um, Salaries exist, you know, yeah. predominantly salaries are negotiated on the entry point of your career. Yeah. And if you go in significantly lower than a peer who's doing the same amount of work, then any uplift quite often will not be seen as bringing people into line because that's not how, how organisations think about it. They think everyone deserves the same percentage, for example. Yeah, yeah. So you can quite often, you quite often end up with people paid a different amount unless there's actual mechanisms mm -hmm. which regulate it. Uh, so for me, it's really interesting. The example I always talk about, and I may have even talked about it before, is if you had three kids who are growing up and they come down on Christmas morning and one counts the number of presents under the tree yeah. and one counts how much someone's spent on those presents oh, yeah, okay. and one person is thinking about who's got the most difficult present to get because it's like on the list of things, yeah, 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 yeah. how much time someone's spent on it. 
then what you've got is three different perceptions of fairness. And this is where it all becomes very complicated. And I've had this in teams. People perceive fair as different. Yeah. So some people will say it's based on output and how much impact they've had on the organisation. Some will be about the effort they've made. Some yeah. will talk about teamwork. Yeah. So you quite often see people suffering where they haven't focused on their own work, but they have played. Yeah, they take them on for the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they don't get rewarded for it. Yeah. Because they're like, their perception is, well, I, I was doing it for everyone. And, and, and someone else's perception might be, but you didn't get done what we asked yeah. you to get done. Yeah. But you asked me to do this. And then you end up in this cycle of, well, you said you needed me to be a team player. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hard. And, and a lot of it comes down to, um, and the other thing I think that doesn't get included in any of this is what that reward or recognition gets you on the outside world. Uh-huh. So um, ultimately, some people talk about uh, is their reward for their contribution fair in the context of a numerate amount, but mostly we think in the context of the life it can buy us, which is why, okay. you know, if you're geographically in a city that's really expensive versus cheap, you might have sure, a completely sure. different response. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a good theory. Do I think that we always do this concept of returning to equity and do we always feel distress? I'm not sure distress is the right word for being overpaid. Distress is a big word. Um, I think mostly we might go, well, that's how much it's worth. Someone's prepared to pay me. Brilliant. Thanks. Um, I'm pleasantly surprised that I'm worth more than I thought. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know about about the distress thing, but do I absolutely think that um, people who go above and beyond, particularly people who go above and beyond without expectation, but then don't get anything and then frustrated... That's a complicated thing, and yeah. I think that's that's you can a lot of that can be uh, ascribed to the fact that they have trust in equity theory. They yeah. have trust that if they up their effort and they've been asked to, they will be rewarded for it, and when they're not, they do experience the satisfaction. Yeah. I think that is the exact word. Sure. I think uh, distress is the exact word. I did this. You asked me to do this. What have I got for it? Yeah. I've got nothing than if I had done exactly the same yeah. thing. And you say it's unfair. I mean, it yeah. just feels. Unfair. I feel distressed and unfair. That is yeah. literally the words yeah. that I would use. To some of the reactions that I've seen. Yeah. So yeah, so I like it. I like it a lot, and I think it's really helpful when, um, particularly when you're going into things like pay reviews. Yeah. I've I've got a manager who never ceased to be surprised when everyone was disappointed with the pay review every year, and he was like, "But it's killed me to get this this pay review." Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, they don't know that, and actually they don't care. They see that as your job. Yeah. Yeah. So they're still upset because they're looking at what everyone else is getting in the rest of the sector. Yeah. Or what so their so friends. Where do you benchmark? And in, really interestingly, with the charity sector, is I worked in a team where we were pretty much all of our friends were outside of the charity sector. So each of us had friendship sure. groups that were in professionals. Yeah. So pay was never going to help us. No, no, no. That's you know? not how you. So you it. had to frame it in a different way because we were always so far behind our peers. Yeah. Because to me, my peers are not in the charity sector. Yeah. My peers are my friends that I went to uni with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. School and, friends. And school friends. friends. And I'm benchmarking against that. And how far financially am I behind? Yeah. That makes up, that is contribu- con- uh, compensated for yeah. by the fact that I get to sit at dinner parties and everyone goes, wow, everyone else has got a boring job and you've got an interesting one. Yeah. And that is the trade, the actual trade-off that goes on in my brain. Yeah, it is. So I think... Um, I think it's a really helpful way of thinking about people and really question who peers are because who you think your uh, staff or your colleagues' peers are and not the peers they've got in their head. Yeah. I know someone where it's their family. Yeah, okay. That's not helpful. No, I'm sure it's not. Um, I've I've coached somebody who's said some things that make me feel that that's the same same case there. Um, So for me, there I guess maybe just a couple of final reflections based on what we spoke about there. One is from the leadership perspective. When you think about 
somebody in uh, an equity theory situation when you're thinking about benefits that they receive. I think some of those benefits are financial, but I think, you know, a benefit of doing something would be praise, recognition, celebration. So I think as a leader, it's important to be equitable in terms of the way that you, you provide benefit to people for what they're contributing um, by recognizing them, by celebrating their successes, by saying thank you. You know, if you only ever say thank you to one person and not to somebody else, then that's inequitable treatment. Um, and that's a little bit difficult. I would um, argue that one of the most powerful things you can do as a leader is say, up front, I can't give you a pay raise because it's, not, it's yeah. not within the budget. But let me tell you, I would. Yeah. If if I could, this is this is the value of what you've done. Yeah. And I think framing value in different ways, framing value in the impact of what you've done, particularly yeah. for back office staff. Tell the story, yeah. So being able to come back and say, because of you, the organisation has significantly saved money. And no, we can't give you a pay rise, but we, that will mean, particularly non-profits and things, that yeah. will mean X number of people are going to benefit. Yeah, social recognition, all those yeah. things. Um, and then the other thing that I think is really interesting that I've seen cause some problems with this is to do with... Um, benchmarking contribution. Um, so when I compare my contribution, perhaps, to a contribution of my peer group, mm-hmm. you know, it's really hard for me to really see what my peers do. All I see is the bits that I see. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I might think, well, I see you doing this and I know that I'm doing more, but I don't see all the stuff that you do. You know, you, this is something that I, I've seen, um, that I've read about um, in, in sort of uh, behavioral economics as well. It's that sort of visibility thing. You only are aware of what's visible. So if I don't see you do it, in my mind, you're not doing it. So it feels like you're contributing less than me and getting recognised. I think that's particularly true of line management. Yeah. So one of my favourites is where people are like, why is my manager paid so much more when they're doing less? Yeah. And you're like... So the, one of the ways I always talk about it is um, is thinking about not what you're doing, but the role you're playing. Yeah. So if you're uh, having to deal with um, difficult, challenging situations yeah, more yeah. often. Difficult conversations. Yeah, all of that. And more emotional labor Yeah, it's not about the number of hours you spend in the office. No, it's no. really not. Yeah, contribution's not the same. And if it is in your organisation, that's a bad thing. Yeah, that's a separate, yeah. separate issue. Cool. Okay. All right, well, I think that was a good conversation about equity theory. I feel nicely balanced in a good middle position. Refined. You're not, you're not distressed. I'm not distressed. Good. I feel pretty good. Lovely. I feel that was good. All right, um, list of the week. Do you want to tell sure. us a little bit about list of the week? So, like we've done once or twice before, we've actually snuck in some additional content into List of the Week. Uh, But we've gone from a more practitioner base uh, and more practical uh, set of uh, list. It's from John Adair's Eight Basic Rules for Motivation. John Adair's done lots of writing around this stuff. Lots of really accessible stuff, I think. Yeah. Which is useful. And uh, as always with any list that I give you, it's not the list, it's a list. Mm-hmm. So there are other ways of doing things, but these are eight useful Yeah, things. it's just stuff to think about. Yeah, it's, nice it's little stuff to think about things. and it's a nice little checklist. So rule one, be motivated yourself. Um, really important for so many reasons. Yeah. But I, there's nothing more tragic than watching a really unmotivated leader or manager trying to engage his team. Yeah. It's just an uphill battle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so if you don't re- want to do it, why would oh. I help you want to do it? I mean, oh. And it's depressing. It you just don't want to be in that room. No, no. So uh, really be honest and self-reflective. Are you in the right place to be actually thinking about other people's motivation? Uh, and if not, what can you do around yourself? Yeah. Rule two, select people who are highly motivated. I would put in brackets afterwards, or people who have had experience of being highly yeah, motivated. Yeah, potentially highly motivated. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, quite often people are not highly motivated at that point and you have an opportunity to give them something that will re-engage yeah. them. Rule three, which actually I would delete one and two and four to eight and I would just stamp this on everything, mm-hmm. which is treat each person as an individual. 
Uh, do it because you will get better results. Do it because it will make your job easier. Do it because uh, it will have impact on your organisation. And do it because it's the right thing to do. It is the right thing to do. This is, this is one of those, it's just the right thing to do to do it. Rule four, set realistic and challenging targets. So we're going to talk a little bit about goal setting uh, in the future. And we'll talk about the evidence around why it's so important to have both realistic and challenging targets. But also, from a motivation point of view, um, you know, if people don't think it's achievable, we've already heard why, what happens, which is just yeah, not just motivating. And if they're not challenging enough, they're not they're not targets. They're well, just they're writing rewarded. down what you do. Yeah. And there's no reward. You yeah, don't yeah. you don't get the tick list feeling. Yeah, you don't get to yeah, exactly um, that tick list feeling. Rule five, remember that progress motivates. So one of the things I was telling you about is uh, in my old event job, on a wall we used to have an arrow, we moved along the journey oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it was all mapped out. And it was a very visible, physical uh, experience to move. Each week, someone got to move the arrow. Yeah, it feels rewarding. It right? feels hugely. You're Getting moving towards done. something. Yeah. Um, rule, rule six, create a motivating environment. And I, I think for me, this is about the physical environment, yeah. right? Well, but, I'd say physical and psychological. I'd say a bit of both, but I'm happy. Yeah, but I think I think within this list, a lot of these things will help you create the psychological yeah. oh, that's uh, that's environment. Fine. Whereas this is specifically about how do you create a motivating yeah. environment. Yeah. To, you know... If you are sitting with rubbish daylight and a pile of old books, that's yes. not motivating. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, and it, it may, you may not see it anymore because you go in that room every day, but other people do. Yeah. Number seven, provide fair rewards, which is important, but also the equivalent of saying just do it really well. Yeah. It's such a hard <laughs> thing to do. It does. Um, and, and the easiest way to do it is, is to think about rewards in lots of different contexts. So sometimes, yeah. and, and change it up, you know. So um, one of the things that was really powerful is we used to have a uh, celebration budget. And if we did something oh, yeah. well, it rotated who was allowed to spend it. Because cool. then they're empowered to decide. And if it's not fair, fine, you get a crack at it next time. Yeah, 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 it rotates around. Um, so some people would be like, oh, I've, I've arranged for us to go on this really amazing boat for a drink. And everyone else was like, <laughs> I'm seasick. I hate that idea. <laughs> Uh, sorry, Naomi. Um, <laughs> and then finally, rule eight: give recognition. Um, and this is not going to cost you anything. Absolutely, should be on the tech list. And if it's on the tech list and you're not doing it, start again. Because giving recognition is the most fundamental thing. And if you can't do it in the context that you would normally do it, find another way of doing it. So the practical example I would give to you is. If you are giving recognition, if you can't give recognition in a formal meeting because you're presenting to a client and you can't possibly point at the person who's least paid and go that it was all their idea, yeah. that's fine. Do it the drinks afterwards. Do it to your CEO. Yeah, Do remember. it in the board yeah. meeting. And let them know. So the worst I've ever seen, it was so funny. I, I, used, to, I used to work with someone who was amazing at giving credit in board meetings. Okay. And would promptly forget that I was the only one in the board meeting. So that unless I went um, back to the team yeah, yeah, and yeah, went, yeah, 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 yeah. do you know what happened in the board meeting? And he would he would just never tell people. And yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. what are you doing? They all think that you don't value them. Yeah. And then he'd like wax lyrical for hours about the amazing team in the board. Yeah. So I would then have to go back and go, by the way, guys. Yeah, yeah believe me. You should this. know <laughs> that he said the following yeah, things. Again. Like, really? I've never heard him say anything. Yeah, because he's yeah, not yeah. an emotional person either particularly. They'd all be sitting there going, did he? Did he really yep. say that about me? And I'd be like, yeah, of course he did, because it's true. It's funny, isn't Hilarious. It? Hilarious, just in different contexts. Mm. So that's the late, uh, eight rules. Be motivated yourself. Select people who are highly motivated, motivated or have experience of it. Treat each person as an individual. Set realistic and challenging targets. Remember that progress motivates. Think about creating a motivating environment and how you can. Provide fair rewards and give recognition. Easy. Eight ways that you can absolutely improve motivation. Yeah, very simple things, right? I mean, it's... Uh... Not complicated. Yeah, but in the but busyness, how easy is it to forget yeah, more? Yeah, it's great to great to have a little simple list like that. Yeah. Um, 
Would you like a story from the keyboard? Oh, James, Would tell you? me about Would your you? story from the keyboard. One time, many years ago, <laughs> in a faraway land. No, uh, it's kind of like Is that. Is it grim? <laughs> it's, it's, Sorry, yes. that's a bad pun. For yes, those of you dreadful pun. Fairy tales. Um, so, uh, I guess this is just a little reflection. And as I've been thinking about the motivation stuff that we've done here, I've reflected back a little bit on probably the least motivated period of um, my working career. Um, and that was actually the third year that I was in my uh, accountancy qualifications. I, I trained as an auditor and did a three-year graduate program. The first two years I liked um, and I felt motivated. And in the third year, I lost lost motivation. Um, and a lot of that motivation came out of um, you know changes to my sense of rewards, but also some other things that I think tie into some of the, the uh, models that we've looked at today. And trying to think about what led to that loss of motivation for me, um, I came up with several things. One was I'd stopped really learning. So in the first two years of my program, it was intensive studying and, and training for um, for new content and skills. Um, and in the third year, that disappeared. So I lost some of that reward, that sort of development reward that I get from improving and, and a sense of making progress. So that disappeared. Um, I wasn't really part of core teams. I was sort of rotating through matrix teams because that's the way projects work. Um, so I didn't have that you know, social stability. Not all of my work had um, tight deadlines. It was busy, but not always tight deadlines. So I lost some of that sense of progress that's talked about. You know, if, if a deadline's in 10 weeks and there's lots of stuff to get there, you lose a bit of momentum. And a lot of the activity didn't really align with the underlying things that I was interested in. And so some of those factors, combined with some cultural issues, meant that I lost a lot of motivation. And it was just interesting for me to, to look back at that um, in light of some of the stuff that I've, I've done here. Um, so yeah, that was it, my little story from my keyboard. Okay. Um, what about you? Uh, so I was thinking about which one I was going to, what I was going to talk about here. And for me, actually, one of the things that I would probably talk about is when I was working in a really small team and I was deeply demotivated. Okay. Um, but I was still flogging my guts out because that's just the nature of, of my open need to prove things. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, I sat down and I, I actually, it was one of my first coaching sessions ever that mm -hmm. I had. And as a coach? Talked, no, as a, as, as a coach. being coached. Yeah. And I had a conversation and she was asking me why I was so miserable. And I said, well, because I'm working really hard for something I don't really want to do. Yeah. And it's miserable. And we talked quite a lot about it. And the upshot of it was that I, I really struggle with um, not getting praise. Yeah, I have an ego the size of a truck when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. And and I and I'm hurt and I'm very emotional about it and it's it's really not necessarily the most helpful thing. Although it's very helpful to know it. Anyway, mm -hmm. uh my coach uh got that out of me and really showed me how to think about what was motivating me and what was not and why. Okay. And then convinced me to go and have a conversation with my boss about it. And, and a really pragmatic way of not moaning about where I was, but instead saying, listen, I think it would be really useful for you to understand that um, you will get the most out of me when you uh, give me feedback. Yeah, good yeah. and bad. Yeah, yeah, good yeah. and bad, because then when I get the bad, I feel better about the good as well. So it yeah. can't just be good. Um, but it, it really matters. And this is the kind of feedback I mean. I mean thoughtful, uh, considered feedback that explains to me why you think I have done a better job than yeah. someone else. And if you do that... I will stop worrying about all the other things that we've talked about because this really matters to me. Yeah. Um, and it was it was revelatory. Cool. It was revelatory for both of us. We never talked about it again. 
and we never mentioned it, and I never questioned when he praised me, but I sat there smoking. And a part of me was like, is he just doing it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know uh, what? I don't care. It, matter, yeah. it made me happy. And actually, very quickly, it stopped being stilted, and it became really important. And, and what I noticed was the knock-on effect with everyone else. Yeah. Because okay. it ha- he didn't just do it for me. He did it for everyone. And actually, for them, it might not have been as important for all of them, but at least one other person it was. Yeah. Um, but, and also, I got better. I got I so much better at my job because for me, the motivation to be improved is when someone can articulate what I'm doing wrong. Yeah. They don't have to tell me how to fix it. They just have to tell me what they're not satisfied with. Yeah. And also tells me when I'm doing it right. And that is a re- it's so important. Yeah. And I know we, I, I wanged on about this. I went on and on and on about this in the feedback episode that mm-hmm. um, we've recorded and you, haven't, you guys haven't heard yet. Or we'll have done by now. Yes, we'll have done by I'm now. I'm so confused. We're speaking into the future. Um, but uh, for me, that was, it was, it, so it was revelatory. Yeah, cool. Well, that's good, and that's a great story. I mean, it's um, feedback's powerful, and recognition's a powerful motivator. Um, any final thoughts? Anything you want to jump into for final thoughts? Or uh, so, following on from that, yeah. I'll, I'll go on because following on from that, mine would be um, to all of those people out there who are wanting to be as good as they can in the workplace, whether they're a manager or whether they are just managed at the moment spend time thinking about what motivates you and what doesn't because yeah. if you can articulate it to the people who manage you work with you work for you it is so powerful to say to someone if you want to reward me if you want to motivate me these are the ways these are the levers that are most effective with me yeah it's almost like self-disclosure it's, it's how to get it's, the best it's out telling of someone else how to hack you right yeah, yeah. and it's a brilliant thing if you can do that and own it a you look self-reflective and uh emotionally intelligent which is brilliant B you will know how to fix you when you're struggling but also it's just such a beautiful trustworthy thing to do to a member of your team this is is how to manage me this is how and it it just people whinge about their managers all the time and and if you your manager and you is an equal relationship right it may not be financially it may not be for lots of other things but the bottom line is there's only two of you Mm-hmm. in that one-to-one relationship and you need to think about how you can help them get the most out of you because both of you want to get the most out of it right yeah. that's the whole point yeah. so that's mine cool think but, about yourself and tell people yeah and mine's like mine's not too different mine is basically um think about what motivates you and try and do more of that you know it's kind of a skills-based skills-based approach to things right i mean if you find something that you find really motivating do it um if you find a skill that that is something that you're really good at. I try and put more of that into my job. And um, if I think of things and find things that I find motivating to do intrinsically, I'd like to get more of that in my life. And it's not always easy. And, you know, it's perhaps a bit of a luxury, right? Sometimes you just need to have a job and get paid and do stuff. But if you can find a way to, to shape your job into something that's more motivating for you or, or move into a job that's intrinsically more motivating, then I think that's good. I think, you know, you are at your best when you do the things that are the things that you want to do the most, fundamentally. And you will make time for them. You will do, yeah. You, you know, if you do it in your spare if you, time. Please. If you think about uh, this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, without question, I have struggled to balance my time since I've gone gone it alone and yeah. stopped working. And it's, the podcast takes up some time each week yeah, that yeah. we spend on it. And I wouldn't give it up for the world because it's the thing I like doing. So I work to fit everything else around it. And so the more things, the people who are really productive in this world, it's just because they're doing loads of stuff they like. Totally. So they're figuring out a way to fit it all in. So figuring out what you like is crucial. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's some good wrap up thoughts. 
Um, I think it is probably time for us to check out. We're getting to the end of another episode. Um, you can tweet us at the Wow Podcast. Um, we're, we like our Twitter. We're there pretty often. Yeah, we're also on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. So come find us if that's your prefer- preferred platform yes, of choice. Platform of choice. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's probably it from me. Uh, okay. So it's goodbye from me. Until next time. Cool. All right, guys. Goodbye from me, and we will catch you in a week's time. Take care, everyone. Bye. Hi. Thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.